0: Well, hello there, and welcome to this Calvary Longview audio message. We're so glad you've chosen to take a moment to discover with us the truth that can be found in the Bible, and we pray that you'll be blessed by what you hear. Today, Pastor Al is going to be sharing with us a message from Paul's letters to the Thessalonians. We can't wait to get into God's Word, so crack open your Bible, grab your note-taking tools, and we'll get started. If anyone will
1: not work neither shall he eat. For we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. And now those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ, that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good, and if anyone does not obey your word in this epistle, note that person, and do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed. Yet do not, count, uh, do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace, always in every way. The Lord will be, the Lord uh, be with you all, the salutation of Paul with my own hands, which is a sign in every epistle, so I write. In the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. You may be seated. So we come to this portion, and you, you know, you come into a church and you're talking about busybodies. You're thinking, okay, what's going on in that church, right? What's happening? <laughs> Whoa, it's disorderly. It's a kind of the topic that, <coughs> excuse me, that we're looking at today is dealing with the disorderly. So if you you remember Paul here. He's been writing to them about the soon return of the Lord, <clears throat> but there's something that he wants to, and he feels like he needs to uh, uh, touch base on. I mean, this is so important to the body. He just do want, he doesn't want it to fester. He doesn't want it just to go on. And uh, it's dealing with disorderly people in the church. And it isn't like this is a letter like first Corinthians chapter five, where we will see, and I'll bring out a, a passage in there, but it's not like it's directed at church discipline, but there's a way that where the, you know, where the leadership would come in First Corinthians 5, he says, hey, you know, you need to deal with these people. You need to deal with this man and deal with them promptly. And then, uh, but it's not like that. This is like for the whole church to get. Disorderly people, Paul wants to know, is for the whole church to understand that and it's not just a pastoral thing where the pastor has to direct the people. It's something for every one of us that you will know when you see disorderly people. You will know how to act, right? And it's not that you're higher, mightier than they are. It's just that biblically, God gives us instruction because He knows that at times there's going to be people that's going to, you know, they're, they're going to do their own thing, and you're thinking, okay, who do I follow? I don't know about you. But when I first started coming to church, and this was back in 1989, I thought, okay, who am I going to pattern my life after? Because I know nothing, right? I mean, I'm coming out of the drug world, I'm coming out of alcohol, I'm coming out of all this stuff, and I'm thinking, how am I going to, who am I going to follow? So I'm looking for examples, and I'm looking at people, and I, I, oh, yeah, they look like the Ken and Barbie Christians, I'll follow them, until I got to know him. Then I came over this way, you know, looking at somebody else to follow, somebody to pattern my life after. Now, I'd been 29 years of walking in the in the world, I'd been in a church as a child, but it came to the point to where I had to learn from somebody what to do, because I didn't know, I needed some examples. And so Paul's not writing to this in a sense to where, you know, in 1 Corinthians, where he said, your glorying is not good, when in chapter 5, where the guy was sleeping with his stepmother, he said, um, do you not know that a little leaven leavens a whole lump? Therefore, purge out. And so he's saying there's, there's a type of purging or time when purging is so important within our own lives. And we, we all affect the church and we're all part of the church. So not only should this purging take place in Corinth, but it needs to take place today. So we look and we come under the scrutiny of God's word and, and the authority of his word. And we think, okay, This is what we need to do. This is what I may need to do. And so the church, it needs to be this healthy body. It needs to be a unity. It's the greatest thing on the planet earth that we have, the church. The one with the most power. We have the most power. It's in the church. You want to see people getting cleaned up? It's within the church has the power because the gospel has the power to free people. It's not 12 steps. You want to get freed up? You can come to Jesus today. It's the way it is. And Jesus can free you up. He can clean you up. And so we want to keep that power. We want to keep that order there that's in the church. And God says that there, he is a God of order. So disorderly people, he needs the, the people, especially here in Thessalonica, to deal with them. And if the church has these problems and they're not dealt with, then they can become like a sliver in the hand of, you know, a person to where you don't take care of that sliver becomes an infection and then it affects the whole body. You say, "What happened?" Well, I had one little sliver, and I never did take care of it, and so that's what the problem is here. It's important, and order is important to the Lord. It's important to the church, and so he comes to this place, and saying, "You know, we have these instructions. Paul is instructing them. We have this canonized in the Bible, the, the letter of Second the Thessalonians, but Paul is writing this letter to the church. Now, imagine this." Because as he would write a letter to the church, they would be the people out there and Paul would read the letter to them. And he's reading it to them and people know their relationships with one another. And you know, it's gonna be pointing out, the Holy Spirit is pointing out like, okay, they get to this part. Paul's closing off this letter. And oh good, he's not gonna deal with the, the problems we've been having. No, boom, there it is. You know, there's, there's, there's issues, there's order, there's these things that he wants to take care of. And so it's a body of Christ and he wants to keep it that way. And the body of Christ has a head, and the head is not the pastor. The head is Jesus Christ. He gave himself for the church. And so he gives us these instructions to where we're to live our lives, you know, accordingly. And even at the end of this letter, Paul has something, you know, we got to address. And he's been addressing this throughout his first and second letter to some degree. He he writes and he warned of the idle-minded people in the first letter, chapter 4, verse 11. he He said that you aspire to lead a quiet life to mind your own business and to work with your own hands as we command you. So here he writes, you know, the, he warns of the busybodies. He says, you know, you need to get back to work. And again, the, the purpose of this letter, the background of this letter, is there's some, been some false teachers. They come into the church and they were telling the church that, oh, you know what, you've already missed the day of the Lord. You've already missed the rapture. You're living through the tribulation. And so, you know, you better just figure it out. And because of this incorrect viewpoint on eschatology or the end times, um, it caused some of the believers to stumble and they began to quit their jobs and they began to mooch off of others. And Paul's clearing that up a little bit. He said, hey, wait a second. That's not the way it's going to be. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14, he said this, <clears throat> excuse me, now we exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, and be patient with all. The word unruly refers to a soldier who's out of rank. We had a lot of military here, um, and you know the importance of being in the unit. You have a commander who is giving you orders, a soldier, higher-ranking soldier, who's giving you orders, and to have somebody just jump out of the foxhole when you're trying to keep cover, nobody knows you're there, the enemy doesn't know you're there. And he or she just wants to bounce out of the foxhole and draw the attention to your foxhole, you're not going to like it too well. It's kind of like the church. It's the way we're to be in the church. We're, we're you know, unruly or a soldier who's out of rank is what the, they're beating to their own, the, the tune of their own drum. And so Paul's advice is to them he says, Remove themselves from the situation. So you have these unruly people. You're going to, he's going to tell us what we're to do, but really it's to remove themselves from the situation. They're to remove themselves from these idle or disorderly people. So look at verse six as we pick up our study. If we're to withdraw from the, from the disorderly. Again, he says, but we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the traditions which he received from us. So it's so important to the apostle Paul that he comes under the authority and he says, listen, I come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. This isn't a letter that's just from him, Paul writing to the church, but he's saying that, you know, this is a letter that I want you to hear that is so important that I come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So where's the authority? There's the authority right there. So he comes in the name of the Lord and he uses this word, he's commanding them, which is like a military word used by a a ranking officer. Again, giving instructions to the troops. Make sure that this takes place. Unfortunately, there were some brothers and people in the church who were causing commotion. And Paul says, you know what? We need to deal with this right away. He says, more than likely... That they were, again, misinformed brothers that they had thought that the day had come they missed out or, the, you know, the, they missed out on the day of the Lord. <laughs> and they were taking what they heard from these false teachers as gospel. And they were living by it. They were, but it was affecting the rest of the body. It wasn't healthy at all. And so he comes to this place of saying, you know what, we need to be careful. And we need to mark those out. And I, and I love what, what uh, Apollos, when Apollos was teaching in Acts, that uh, they pulled him aside, he said, Aquilus and Priscilla, they pulled him aside and they explained to him the way of Jesus more accurately. But here's the thing to where Paul in his first letter, we went over this and he clearly taught pre-tribulational rapture, meaning that the church is going to be out of here before the wrath of God is sent to this world to destroy it, uh, to a Christ-rejecting world. But he didn't allow that, that, that theology to keep himself from working. So Paul continued to work. He worked hard, and he was a man that would set the example to others. But he says, you know, when he comes from the disorderly, you need to withdraw yourself. So it's like bad company corrupts good habits. And Paul says that uh, we are to withdraw from every brother. So it's a, unfortunate that there were, there were some in the church at Thessalonica who were um, disorderly. There were brothers or sisters. There were people in the body of Christ that were just uh, yakking it up in a whole different uh, way. They were teaching something that wasn't biblical, and he was saying that don't even have fellowship with them. He says, you know, keep praying for them, don't, but don't have fellowship with them. You know what, we're to withdraw ourselves from them. He said, you know, you don't want to be part of that company, and you got to be careful. Now, again, we'll see that he says they're not enemies. Treat them as a brother and admonish them. We will we'll, we'll look at that. But we're to, we're, to not, we're to abstain from them. We are to uh, avoid them, in a sense. And we really need to leave them alone, and that is the disorderly, those who cause commotion. And we're to let the Lord deal with them. That's what he's saying. And concerning the subject of hard work, we know, I think every one of us know, we read Genesis and you see that after the fall of man, it was instructed that Adam would, he was told that he would sweat by, you were going to work by the sweat of your brows six days a week. So we were commanded to do six days a week. So there's going to be hard work involved. And when you think about work and you think about the things that God is doing, in the lives of people, there are, there are a couple of things taking, worth taking note of when it comes to the subject of work. Number one, we're to provide for our families because God commands us to. So we're to provide for our families. I remember uh, even prior to coming to Christ, I was working a job and it wasn't making enough money as seeing as Elaine decided to get pregnant with Deborah. Uh, <laughs> you know, I was like, oh, I better get a job. I better get side. You better step up and be a man. You know, and get a job that's gonna be a little more um, providing for the family. So we know that. But also when it comes to God using he uses men and women, he calls men and women that are being uh, they 're working for a living they already have that pattern of life because serving in the ministry is so difficult at times and it 's long hours and he wants to see guys that are and gals that are um, being called they 're already doing the work they 're already serving these hours and Moses was a guy, remember he was out caring for the sheep, or Joshua was one who was an assistant to uh excuse me, to Moses, and then Gideon was threshing wheat, and and he was working, David was caring for his father's sheep, Peter and all of his friends were fishermen, Uh, even Matthew was a tax collector, I mean, he had a job, but he was a tax collector, and Paul was a tent maker, and so in the Jewish custom, there was a saying that, it says, if you don't teach your son a trade, you raise him to be a thief, Right? So it's like, I don't care what you're going to do. You're going to be a dentist, optometrist, you know, doctor, brain surgeon, whatever. But I'm going to teach you to have something to fall back on. You need to have something or some trade within your system. And no matter the education, you're first going to learn a trade. And so God's word speaks about those who are lazy and neglect to work for a living. And each one of us in the body of Christ, we're required to do our share within the body of Christ. We're to be responsible. We're to, we're to uh, you know, do the things that God has asked us to do. So he says, withdraw from the, uh, from the disorderly. And then Paul lays out the example of his ministry in verses 7 through 9. He says, for you yourselves know that, uh, how you ought to follow us. For we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. Not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. And so Paul is writing this letter from Corinth. He had been removed from uh, Thessalonica because of the the, uh, troubles that came up there and the riots. But uh, when he was with them uh, at, at Thessalonica and wherever he went, he was clearly a testimony He was clearly an example of how you're to live your life. Listen, there's nothing free. It doesn't matter who you are. There's nothing free that that you should get just handout after handout after handout. There's nothing about that. It doesn't matter if you're a pastor. It doesn't matter if you're a forklift driver. You're a surgeon. Whatever the case may be, that there's work that needs to be done. But there are times when being an example, and especially in Paul's life, he can lay this out to them that there were uh, times when it wasn't the easiest thing to do. Being an example, because we know that Paul had, you know, uh, sleepless nights. He was, uh, you know, in, in a ship. He says in the deep day and night, he was hungry, he fasted. And sometimes I think, I wonder if the fasting was choice in Paul's life or if it was just because he went without. But, you know, and I'm sure it was both ways, but he, he just, he did what he had to do. And he knew, Paul clearly understood that the, the, uh, the Lord would come as a thief in the night, that he's coming back to take his, he's going to take his church home to be with him. He, he believed in the imminent return of the Lord. It was near, but it didn't keep him from providing every day for his, for his family, for himself, for his needs and those around him. He didn't want to become a burden to anybody. So he's saying, you know what, when we were among you, We did these things and you know that and it was very clear to them. So he's he's trying to encourage them. He's trying to say, you know what? I don't know what you've been listening to or I know what you've been listening to, but don't necessarily follow suit because you know how we ought to live our lives. And so instead of being a burden to them, he points out that, hey, I was an example. My crew, my companions, we were always an example to you so that we can actually say, you know what? You ought to imitate us. You ought to imitate. There are people within the body that you can look to and you can say, man, you know what? I just want to walk how they walk. I just want, I'm not idolizing them. I'm not, you know, looking at them, putting them on a pedestal, but they're just an encouragement to me. There's people in this church that have a prayer life that I just think, Lord, they are an example to me. People have study patterns that are an example to me or they do different things within their Christian walk you know, husbands that, that'll, you know, live by example. And it's, you know, especially when you're going through hard, difficult times like the Apostle Paul did. You're looking out at it, examples in the body of Christ. You're saying, you know what? This is encouraging to me. I want to be like this. You know, I want to, you know, like everybody wanted to be like Mike, right? So he stuck their tongue out, you know, did this. But I, I want to be like, I, I just, you encourage me. And you know, there's, so there's sometimes that Paul is just saying, remember when we were with you, he wasn't a crybaby, he wasn't a whiner, he wasn't a complainer. He simply continued to serve wherever the Lord had called him to do and did what he did. Listen, got to provide. And there are many who, serve in the, uh, who will serve with the Lord, but they're not that example. They don't have that example running through their lives. Others will serve the Lord, but only if it comes with title or, uh, you know, it comes with position or whatever the case may be. You know, and it's like, I will serve if that's the case. And others feel as if they have all the answers, you know, they got, well, hey, look, <laughs> I remember when we first started the church, the guys would come up and they say, you know what? Hey, I'm here to be your associate pastor. Oh, praise the Lord. I've been waiting for you for a long time. I said, there's a broom over there. And uh, well, no, well, no, 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 no. I'm here to teach. And when do I get a Sunday? I said, well, there's a broom over there. You can have it on Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. <laughs> you have it every day of the week. You, you example that. Well, you don't do that. Oh, no, yes, I do. <laughs> you know, you, you do those things. But, you know, you have those things. They have all the answers, you know. But it's far from the reality of ministry. When you think of what can we do? And, and Paul is just sharing we've been that example. I think of people today in the church planting arena today. I remember what Pastor Chuck used to say. he go, when you want to go start a church, he go, hey, I want to go to start a church. He goes, praise the Lord. And then you're waiting around like, you know, many of the guys that were around Chuck would wait around and maybe hopefully get a check. No, you'll praise the Lord. And then what do you mean by Chuck? Well, the Lord's in it. He'll provide. He's not broke. And that's the way it is, right? I mean, when we came up here to start this church, it's not like we didn't have teams together. We didn't have, you know, we had a great group of, of, of people, but we didn't have like Teams that we're going to do children's ministry worship team here, there, there. We were borrowing, stealing, trying to get just get through the day, well each Sunday. But guys, nowadays they start these churches, and I get letters from them. They go, hey, you know what? We already have our administrative team. And I'm going, I've been in ministry 18 years. I don't even have an administrative team. They go, I got an administrative team, and we got this funding, and we got this, and we're like this and that. And I'm, you got children's ministry. We're having our meetings. They plan for six months to get their ducks in a row. You know, we got all of our team. And what happens is you put a lot of people and you burn them out. And that's what happens. You know, you, you see pastors that are getting so burned out because then he's trying to pass the responsibility on to the people. Like, you've got to do this, you've got to do this, you've got to do this. And the mentality should be, you do it if God has you do it, you know, and you just got to trust in the Lord. So, you know, you get church planters that are out there. It's way beyond my thinking, you know, of how they plant churches. You go out there and you plow through the fields. Ted has been with here for a long time. Guys like Ted, Rick Davis, been here on such a long time. And you remember the prayers, Ed Davis, the prayers that we would just pray. The prayers. God, I don't know how you're going to do this. I don't know. I remember we had 20 chairs set up on our first Sunday, 20 chairs. Oh, God. And we had this big room. We used to call it the other side of the campus. It was one room, but it was only 20 people. And you know, you you, you starting and you're just praying, and you're like, who's going to do children's ministry? Who's going to, are they even going to come back next week? You know, it's just that example of being there. And that's what Paul says. You know, I wasn't going to burn anybody. And that's what we don't want to do. We just, just want to do what God wants us to do. And so you have this thing of, in 2 Corinthians, where Paul would write this in chapter 5, he gave us three examples of what made him motivated to serve the Lord. What, what was it that motivated him? He says, we have heaven. It's a great motivation, isn't it? For, for those of you who are here this morning, you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You have heaven? Can I get an amen? <laughs> I mean, you have heaven, right? I mean, look at we don't have hell, we got heaven. Whoever places their trust in Jesus has heaven. And then he said, because we all go to the Bema seat. Well, that's going to motivate me because then I know I'm going to have to see God one day and have an answer. I'm going to have to see you. You saw, you know, there's a the Bema seat. And then he said there was something, he said, I think he's incredible. He said, the reason I do what I do is because the love of God. The love of God compels me to do what I do. See, it's not position or title. There's no selfish factor in there. He says, we've always done this thing because when you realize the depth of the price that was paid for your sin. I'm like, really? Arrest me, Jesus. Let's go. Isn't that the way it is? Calvary Magazine, you'll see it in there. It has, they started the SoCal uh, Men's Conference that I got saved at in 1989. They restarted those. A thousand men gave their lives to the Lord. I'm just reading, looking at the pictures, reading some of the uh, things yesterday. Let me just begin to weep. Because it was that time when God got a hold of my heart, like he wants to get a hold of your heart but he wants us to get a hold of it as examples, right? We're just examples. It doesn't matter who we are. We're just living it out. And that's what Paul's saying. He says, you know, the greatest influence and the greatest message people will hear is when they see our lives being lived out for Jesus, the godly living and the godly sacrifice. And so Paul's here and, and Paul is just saying, hey, I just lived by that example. Now, listen, As church leaders, you know, anybody, men and women, we can always appeal to the word of God, but we cannot point, well, we have to point out too that example of obedience is what's necessary. It's so important. You know what? When we find ourselves being called upon or scrutinized or looked at, you know, Paul the apostle says, you know what? You don't judge me. I don't even judge myself, but he who judges me is the Lord. And so you look at why he does what he does. Warren Wiersbe says this, he says, this is a difference between authority and stature. A leader earns stature as he obeys the word and serves his people in the will of God. Authority comes from position. Stature comes from practice and example. Stature earns the leader the right to exercise authority. And then look at verse 10, because Paul gets into this. I think it's a uh, very important verse for us today. He says, listen, for even when we were with you, we commanded you this. If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. This is non working. It's not not that they didn't have the ability to work. They just were lazy. They didn't want to work. They wanted handouts. It's all they wanted, just handouts. And so he says to the church, remember when we were with you, we didn't want it to be to where we would just show up and you guys fed us, gave us everything. Some of you went to Minot, North Dakota with us, with the Souris River, um, it flooded. And we went to Minot on a couple of trips. Our goal out there, whenever we go on a disaster relief, is to go out there <laughs> and it's to, well, all we need to do is you give us a place to stay. We were sleeping in trailers. They said, well, you can stay at the church. Nope, not if anybody needs that. We'll make you meals. We're going to become self-contained. We're going to be ready to serve you. That's just the idea of it. You know, we want to come out there. Listen, if we don't work, we want to work and we want to not be a burden to people. You're already burdened with the floods. Let us come and serve alongside of you. And so the people in Thessalonica here, they're having a problem. They just don't want to work. I don't want to work. You know, this has... Nothing to do with some who may need a hand up. But what the problem was, they were looking for a handout and they wouldn't let their hand stop from being out. And I think it's something that we need to take into our mind today in this society today. That we need to look at and say, listen, if you don't work, you don't eat. Here's what, we have a problem. We were, my wife and I were up, a, you know, as many of you know, my niece passed away last week and we were up and taking an exit in Olympia. And I could not believe the homeless camps up there. I mean, it was crazy. Olympia was just crazy. It just had, I mean, it was, it was like a campgrounds, you know, just of homelessness. Now, so listen, I want to say this. So bear with me because I know it's a very topic, political topic here. But, um, or not here, but in the society. The, homeless, the homelessness issue needs to be identified properly in order to take care of the problem properly. We got to look at it and we got to look at these things and we got to say, okay, let's check in and let's see what kind of help I can give you because they're mentally ill that are homeless and we need to help them and we need to identify them before just giving them a warm place to stay. We need to make sure that, you know, we're, we're taking care of them. We're giving them what they need. The other thing is drug addictions. If you're homeless and you're on drugs and you're, you know, you're, you're doing drugs, you're probably spending money on the, on drugs that you could be on rent. I was there. I was homeless. I was spending my money on things I shouldn't have spent. What you need is Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ will free you up and he'll take that that desire you have for drugs and put it upon him and say, listen, if you make me your passion, you'll just be everything. I'll I'll give you everything you need. So you you have situational homelessness where a spouse may have passed away and or the main breadwinner passed away. A spouse died, whatever the case may be, or they lost their job and they couldn't afford a mortgage. Let's get them the help that we need. I'm all for that. We need to help our people, but we need to do is help them up. We need to help them up and we need to make sure that wherever and however we're helping them, that Jesus Christ is the answer because he's the only answer. I don't want to make it sound like I don't have a heart for homelessness. I have a heart for them. But I got to have the, the, you know, it's just like you just don't cast your pearls before swine. You want to make sure that you're investing the way that you can invest and get the, you know, the the greatest bang out of the buck, I guess. I, I want to see people get the help they need. And we're trying to, you know, make these issues. I won't get so political. Forgive me. Man doesn't work. He doesn't eat. is what the Bible says. And there are some in the church that were listening to the wrong people. Again, they were listening to these things of this is how, <clears throat> listen, if it isn't from the scriptures, I don't want to hear it. We've got it. And you guys should be the same way, right? So we come to the word, we come to the Bible. That's why we give you a Bible. I want you to follow along. I want you to make sure, okay, what's he preaching? Then you go home and you look at it again and you say, there, there, there'll be different points of application you guys will come up with. But did that guy stick to the text? Because if he stuck to the text, I'm down with it. I don't care what it says. But if he's not sticking to the text, I'm bouncing Tar and feather, me, get me out of here. But it's the truth. We need to stick to the text. So that's what Paul's saying. Listen, if they don't work, they don't eat. And there are some, again, we're coming in. They were listening to the wrong people. And this happens today. Some of you might remember Harold Camping, right? Anybody remember Harold Camping? Harold Camping was giving out setting dates that Jesus would come back in October 2011, May, whatever, setting these dates. People were selling their houses. They were sending them the money, doing whatever they were doing with it. And and he missed the date. Oh yeah, I got to reset the date, you know. I reset the date. And then the next thing that happens is, uh, you know, he passes away. So he's no longer with us. He said all these dates. But people were listening to him. Listen, if it's not from the scripture, because the Bible tells us that no man knows the hour, so we got to be careful in that. You know, I don't know the time of the hour. So for one to refuse to work... And think they've gotten away with it. They never got away with it with God's being approval. Listen, because it's against God's word. So God is telling this church at Thessaloniki saying, listen, you don't work, you don't eat. And if, if a man is unwilling to work, then I'm not going to feed him. I mean, I have jobs. I have things that we can do. We have people knocking on our doors during the week. I have no problem opening up the kitchen. I will go in there and make them a meal. I'll have them vacuum while I'm doing it. I mean, really, right? I want to make sure that we're taking care of people, but I want to make sure that people aren't just always wanting a hand out. So listen, he he tells the churches, he says, you don't work, you don't eat. But then in verse 11, he goes, he starts dealing with busybodies. He says, for we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now, those who are such, we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. Um, so, you know, when people neglect to do what the Lord desires them to do, they're going to run themselves into troubles. And primarily, what Paul is referring to is you got too much time on your hands, you got too much time on your hands, you become a busybody. And busybodies are somebody that meddles in the affairs of others. And he says, you know what, guys, if you're not following the scripture, you're thinking that, you know, you sell everything, and all of a sudden you become, uh, you, you know, you got so much time in and you become a busybody, then the idleness becomes a source of their sin. And it's, it was because they didn't, they were doing things that they were, didn't have to do. They are saying things they didn't have to say. And the harm was that they, they, what they did with their idle time. What do you do with your idle time? You guys got so much time in your hands. We had a tree that fall down uh, the other morning in the backyard. Some of you saw that. I was talking to a couple guys at the men's breakfast yesterday, I was sitting at the table. And I go, and they're looking at me like they had something in their nose. And I go, no, look, the tree fell down. We had a big tree come down last. You know, you had idle time. You had things to do. Come and see Ted or somebody, and they'll put you to work. <laughs> but really, what Paul is saying is, he refers to them as busybodies and not as busy workers. You're busybodies. In 1st Thessalon or excuse me, 1st Timothy chapter 5, Paul was writing to Timothy on, on the order of the church. We'll be getting to this, but he says, you know what? When it comes to the subject of widows, and here he's referring to the younger widows, those who don't qualify at the age of 60 or above, uh, as the older widows, he says, and besides, they learn to be idle. Wandering about from house to house and not only idle, but also gossip and busybodies saying things which they ought not. And so here what Paul is saying is that the busybodies, they they meddle in matters that don't belong to themselves. They get this idea of peck, 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 gossip, gossip, gossip. You know, people, people, people. Isaac Watts penned this statement. He said, for Satan finds some mischief still for idle hands to do. Mischief in gossip is not a ministry, just like enabling people is not a fruit of the spirit. Story, true story, and I'll just be brief with it. In 1995, <clears throat> there was a problem that NASA had with, with woodpeckers. They were in Florida and there was mating season and these woodpeckers would come up and they were poking holes, round holes, all the way through uh, to the fuselage from the the um, stuff that they put over it, the insulation that they would put over it. So they would, the woodpeckers would go in there. So they had to have these people come out even during the weekend with these air horns. Arr! Try and keep the woodpeckers off, right? Arr! So every time they see a woodpecker and then they put this fake owl up there, but the woodpeckers were so smart that the, they looked at the owl and said, whatever, ne, 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 peck, 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 you know. <clears throat> this, is what, this is what Paul is trying to avoid in the church. The peck, peck, peck. <clears throat> hey, did you hear about that? <clears throat> you know, so anyway, there's, there's no need for that. But it's a thing that he's not just telling the pastor to do, he's telling you guys, he's telling the church to do this. You know, when there's a problem, and you guys handle the problem. You know, you got somebody that's coming up to you and gossiping, and they're pecking at somebody, I don't believe, I can't believe they do this, do you believe they play that song? You know, I can't, man, can you believe that? They, they change the color of the carpet, and the color of the carpet, in the chair, <laughs> that's what it is, it's like, we don't have time for that, Right? Why do you allow this? Peck, peck, peck! Gossip, gossip, gossip! Get your big nose and your big tongue out there. And Paul encourages them who who are. Listen, he says, "But those of you who are toting the line, look at verse thirteen. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good." So just because some are out there and they're going peck, 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 and you're going and you're about your business, you know, don't don't grow weary in doing good. He says, "You keep doing good. Just keep doing good. Don't become weary when others aren't toting their line." Don't become weary when they're not doing what you feel like they should be doing. Sometimes it's hard, right? Like if I can only get a little help around here. Maybe God is teaching you a lesson, which is a good lesson. But what we want to do is we want to make sure that uh, you know, we're not growing weary while doing good. Weary means to be afraid or become discouraged, to lose heart or be tired of. Don't let it get to you, is what he's saying. You know, you're, there's always a church that's made up of different people. We're all sinners saved by grace. Some people are in different growth patterns. Some people are maturing. And you might get some people, that just need to learn a lesson and just don't grow weary while they're learning their lessons in life like you had lessons in life. And so what, what Paul says is, you know, don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. Look at verse 14. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that one. So get your can out here. Note that person. And then note means to mark or distinguish that person and do not keep company with them. And here's the purpose, that they may be ashamed. That they may be ashamed. So you're gonna call them on the carpet and you're gonna note that person and that person, you got you know that mark on them and you're saying, listen, note that person, I'm not keeping company with you. And so if somebody comes up to you and says, you know what, why aren't you, I haven't gotten a call from you in a minute, invited, invited to your house, what's going on? You have an opportunity to share with them. Maybe what you need to do is sit down with them. And he says in verse 15, yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. You may need to talk with them. Look, he says, note the person, do not keep company with them so that they might realize that they're wrong. You know, it's too much of the, well, it's not that bad. Well, they're not that bad. Look, we're all sinners and we, we're all sinners and we you know we don't have to put up with those who are willingly and, and openly refusing to walk uh, you know according to God's word. They're they're blatant. Paul says, don't get mixed up with them. Because the faithful that were in the church, uh, they were not to have contact with their person until they repented. It was this time to say, you know what, maybe repent. the purpose of this social. Abandonment was so that they might learn. The offender might feel ashamed. Why am I not getting calls to anybody? So why am, I say, maybe you need to look within. I don't know. Have you offended anybody? Where's that tongue at? How is that? Peck, 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 peck. You, know, you feel like you've got the, uh, a little too often? I mean, there could be reason, but go to that person. When that person comes to you, you're to say, you know what, I want to speak to you in love. I'm going to tell you the truth in love. I mean, look at every time we get together, you are obnoxious. I mean, that's me, right? I, I, I don't have any sugar when it comes to that. It's my fault, and I apologize. I don't apologize. It's just, uh, look, at, you, we, we got some issues. We need to take care of it, right? I mean, every time we come together, you're, you're talking about somebody. How you're, everything is so negative, 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 blah, 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 negative. It said, you know what? You need to feel ashamed. And, and so were people not inviting you over or, you know, whatever the case may be, they're not doing anti-biblical things yet don't mark them as an enemy, but admonish them of the brother. So speak the truth in love. Don't keep giving them, you know, giving them, uh, or leaving them alone in secret. They'll know why if you, if you do. You just leave them alone. They'll know why. You're going to let them know why. Look at Paul closes in verse 16. He says, <clears throat> Now may the Lord Jesus Christ himself give you peace always in every way. And the Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with my own hands. So he's writing these letters with his own hands. He says, you know what? I want you to know it's for me which is a sign in every epistle. So I write the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, amen. So this letter is from Paul and it's not to be taken like one of the false letters that the guys are setting up behind him. And remembering, I think what's so important, the issue that he's talking about here, the issue, people that have been misrepresenting the church, misrepresenting the word of God, uh, they've been teaching the false teachings about the the, uh, return of Christ, they left their jobs people are becoming lazy they're they're just you know they're living off the generosity of others in the church they're being idle while others are working And the problem is here listen this is the problem is the misrepresentation and misapplication of the word you see It's the misrepresentation and the misapplication of the word. Remember in the New Testament, Jesus was, well, he went out and confronted the uh, religious leaders, the Pharisees. And the Pharisees figured out a way how they were going to rob their parents, yet not obey the fifth commandment. And Jesus had told them, he says, you know what? Your heart is far from me, yet you worship in vain. And then they went on to tell him, he goes, you know, you, you, he said, for laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, you wash out the pitchers and the cups and many other things, yes, you do. He says, but he said to them, all too well, you reject the commandment of God that you uh, hold on to your traditions. They were more important. The traditions were more important than what God's word says. And he said to them, he says in verse 10, he says, for Moses said, honor your father and your mother and he who curses his mother and father let him be put to death but you say <laughs> so you're going to trump God's word if a man if a man says to his father and mother whatever prophet's um, prophet you might have received uh, from Eas Corbin that is a gift of God, a gift to God uh, then you no longer let him do anything for your fathers or your mothers making the word of God of no effect through your traditions which you have handed down. And many such things you do. And so what he's telling them is, you know what? Listen, what you're trying to do is you're pulling your traditions. You're misrepresenting the word of God. You're misapplying the word of God to your lives. That's why it's so important for us to teach God's word. I mean, just look, we're going to open it up. We're, we're just going to, not going to candy coat it around. We're just, this, it is what it is. We just want to give it to you. We wanna, I want you to understand what God's word says. When you read the Bible when you wake up in the morning and say, you know, I just want to read the Bible. I just want to be in God's word. Well, it's going to say the same thing as we're teaching. And we're just coming alongside. You know, what is the church? The church many times has a misrepresentation that the pastor is supposed to feed the the sheep. I'm going to tend to the needs. Yes, we come together. And we come together on a Sunday morning. We feed you God's word. But you have a responsibility. It's your relationship with Jesus Christ and you have a responsibility to grow in the Lord. If you're just taking a Sunday feeding or Wednesday feeding and thinking, man, I'm not getting fed. Well, of course not. If I only ate twice a week, I'd be starved. If I only ate twice a day, I'd be starved. (laughs) Just kidding. Listen, the church today has the opportunity to finish the race well, but we have to stick to the Bible. We have to stick to the Bible. We need to keep the truth to the truth of God's word. And we need to let God's word do what it's gonna do in the lives of the people that come, my life and your life alike. You see, what Paul is saying here is, don't grow weary in doing good, nor should we give into our integrity and purity of the word of God, that the word of God brings to our lives. See, the soldier who's out of rank or is disobedience they're living in disobedience to what God's word tells us to do, then he's not surrendering to his master. And when we find ourselves not surrendering to our master, we just need to say, you know what, Lord, mi culpa. My fault, forgive me. And church problems, as Paul's pointing out, are individual problems. They're problems that, that we have and we have to be solving them on an individual basis. God wants order in the church. So he says, you know what, listen, we need to work. We need to be about his business and we get that so just a, a question in closing, we're gonna take communion this morning. The question is this, is are you a part of the peace of the church or part of the war in the church? And, and let's do what Joshua did when Joshua fell at the feet of the captain of the host of the army of God and that, we might, that, that he might enable us to win in victory and fulfill the purpose for his people. We're just, you know what? That's Lord, what do you have for us? That's what I want to do. In the day and age that we live in today, we see a lot of people with a lot of interpretations of the word of of God. But let's just stick to the code. Let's stick to the code and let's make sure that we're simply teaching God's word simply so it applies to our lives. And with that, we're going to become and and we'll continue to be and become even a greater, stronger entity within the world. They need to look at us and say, well, who's the authority of the church? Jesus Christ. He's the authority. He's the one that mandates to us how we're to live our lives. So I just want to surrender everything. Lord, what do you have for us? And live according to that purpose for his glory. Let's bow our heads. Then we're going to pray as a worship team comes up here. And we're going to pass out communion in just a second. But I want to give you the opportunity. By partaking of communion, we're taking the elements. There'll be two cups grab one from the bottom one from the top um, and take both cups and we'll take the elements together but I want to encourage you that if you are here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ or maybe you've walked away from the Lord you haven't been um, in fellowship and, and now you're back and you're thinking you know what I'm back or maybe you're here for the first time maybe you're in church for the first time in a long time well listen Jesus Christ is true He is the truth. He's the life. He's the only way to heaven. And we come to knowledge of Jesus Christ by receiving and understanding the fact that we are sinners. He is the only Savior. He's the only one that can wash us of our sin. And if you want to pray that prayer this morning, as communion is being passed out, um, it's for believers. Communion is for believers. I want to encourage you that if you are uh, not a believer and you want to come to faith in Christ, we'll have some of our leadership in the corners of the sanctuary, come and see them. Come and see them. Let them minister to you, and let them uh, just minister your hearts, and then we'll partake of the elements together. So, Father, we thank you so much.
0: We hope you've enjoyed spending this time in God's Word, and our prayer is that you'll take it with you and apply it to your life. If you'd like to learn more about Calvary Longview, visit our website at cclongview.com. While you're there, you can find more teachings, request prayer, or even find out how you can get involved with what God is doing in our city. We hope you have an amazing day. We'll see you back here next time. And remember, Jesus loves you, and so do we.